Well, good morning. Wow, it's great to see everybody here today. My name is Randy, and I just want to welcome you to our time together. I want to thank Mark. Man, uh, Mark, thanks a bunch. Man, what a great uh, introduction to, to CR. We have some awesome people working with CR. Mark has kind of uh, been stepping in the last few uh, months to help kind of teach, and uh, I think you can see that he's got a true heart for people and, uh, and uh, some experience behind him as well that he can share. So that, that's awesome. Thanks, Mark. Man, we had an amazing weekend I don't know about you, but you guys, some of you all are worn out like me, right? Uh, Friday night, we had uh, Unity in the Community, had this room full of people, uh, Bug and our family came up and led us in some awesome worship. Uh, just incredible, man. It was great. It was great. And, and while we were breaking down from that, we were setting up for the, uh, uh, the rummage sale, I guess it was, to, to move everything, a lot of items from... Uh, that had been accumulated journey provisions to kind of start the, the second chapter, the uh, next chapter of that uh, ministry. And yesterday was an incredible day. I want to, uh, Lori and I want to thank you for, uh, I want to thank you on her behalf and mine. I don't think I've ever seen a better example of volunteerism because you guys stepped in and, uh, I mean, laid into it. I was worried about time and, and everything. And uh, you guys, many of you just killed yourself. So thank you. I think we're all stiff, but uh, to God be the glory. And uh, some, some great uh, fellowship was had, but also a lot of resources were raised as well that will go into our community. So thank you for that. Well, guys, we're in the, we're in the middle of a study, almost dead center of this study uh, on the book of Ruth. And if you haven't been with us, let me catch you up. Rook, Ruth is a book in the Old Testament. It's kind of an interesting book. It's a story. It's a kind of a drama. It's a love story uh, in the book, uh, in the Old Testament, right after and during the time of the Judges. So you can find it there if you want to read the book after the book of Judges, the book of Ruth. We're calling it the big little love story, and it's really a story uh, that kind of begins with a man and a woman, Elimelech and uh, Naomi were the husband. They had two uh, children, uh, Malon and Kilion, and they uh, were enduring a, a, a famine in the land of uh, Judea or Israel, and so they decide to bail. So they get outside of God's will. They go to a pagan country to escape the famine, and uh, once they get there, they live there for 10 years. The father the two sons die. Meanwhile, the sons have married pagan women out of, outside of God's will, but married women. And so they, all, all the men die, leaving three widows who are poverty-stricken. And Naomi, who's a mother-in-law, she decides she's going to go back home to her people, to Judea, and so a little town called Bethlehem. And uh, so she tells her daughter-in-laws, want you to stay here at your home. You don't know anybody there. Marry, remarry and move on. But one of them decides to go with her. Her name is Ruth. And they get back to Bethlehem, and then they have to find a living because uh, they didn't have any type of welfare, any type of help in that day. And so things are desperate. Things are tough for Naomi and Ruth when they get back to Bethlehem. And so the next morning, first morning, Ruth gets up early, goes out to a barley field. Just happened to be a time of barley harvest. She goes into the field, and she begins to glean, which basically means they're picking up the grain that the, the reapers have dropped. What's outside? This, uh, they would leave the margins for the marginalized and so uh, she goes to uh, pick up grain, try to get them some food in a field that's owned by a man named Boaz. So that kind of lays out the story where we've been thus far. Now, Boaz was probably an older man. He was loved by everybody. He was uh, a community leader, I think, probably. He was wealthy, very generous. He allowed the poor, again, to come and glean in his fields. And uh, so uh, uh, she asked, where do I go to find food? They said, go glean in Boaz's field. So the same day that she shows up, Boaz happens to come by to check out the harvest. He quickly notices this newcomer, a young lady that was there for the nosy, and they've already found out. 
he knows Naomi, right? And so he goes, hey, Naomi, uh, Naomi's uh, daughter-in-law. Uh, this is kind of interesting. He also knows her because he's a distant relative of her, and he's touched that Naomi is being helped out by Ruth in her older years. And so uh, things begin to happen there. It is a love story, and a relationship begins pretty quickly here with attraction, both from admiration. She ad- he admires this young woman and what she's doing to help out her older mother-in-law, and, uh, and also in f- and physically as well. I think there was something going on, so we're going to see. You know, but one thing you got to know about that in the, the Bible and in other parts of the world, they don't have the same type of initiating relationships as we do. Probably know that. And we're not so great at it as uh, results uh, kind of show up. But there are three ways in the world, <laughs> for your information, that, that single people initiate and carry out a relationship. Three ways that it happens. First of all uh, is prearranged marriage. And I got to tell you, prearranged marriage sounds horrible if you're single, but if you're a parent, it sounds like a pretty good idea, you know? Like, I think I could do better, you know, uh, than your kid might do sometime, all right? Um, but at any rate, in this case, parents actually are the ones that choose uh, the spouse, and they do that not just for their, um, what they want, but what they think the, would be best for their child. Every child would be, be different. And that really is how much of the world continues to do it. Even though we don't have a lot of experience with that, uh, they, they continue to do it. And the outcome, to be honest, is often better in the long run than ours. Now, let me say quickly, it's not perfect. It is not perfect because in many of those cultures, it oftentimes leaned toward little regard for the woman. And, and there's abuse in those cultures in many cases. So it's not perfect. I'm not saying that. But I will say that divorce in many of those situations is much more rare than in the U.S. Someone said it best like this. In the U.S., we choose our love. But in other cultures, they love their choice. They learn to love the choice. And so uh, we have to figure that out. So that's one thing, prearranged marriage. Second is courtship. Now, courtship is uh, diff- similar in some ways. But the parent and the child work together to determine what is best for them. And both parents would work together. They know each other in most cases. They meet together, and they all work together to try to find a, a good match for their children. Men and women do get a chance to say, uh, to have a say in that whole process. Uh, but courtship begins, and, you know, everybody kind of agrees this is a good idea. The young man goes to the young woman's house. Uh, this is the old parlor. You know, you sit in the parlor or the living room with them, and uh, you get to know the whole family. They get to know the young man. They become, he becomes trustworthy that he does things with the father and the brothers if they're in the family. And, uh, and so they kind of build this relationship within the whole family first. Now, I don't think he would mind me telling you, but this is kind of how our son Kyle um, built his relationship with his wife, Ashley. Uh, it's, I think it's a, a funny story. In, in t- uh, Christmas of 2012, our son, who was probably 28 at the time, came home. He had been living out west. He came home and said, uh, I think I'm going to get married this year. And we said, well, that's great, Kyle. You're not dating anybody. I mean, it kind of <laughs> sounds like I mean, maybe you are and we just don't know. And he's been away. And he's like, uh, no, I, uh, I just think that God's going to bring somebody into my life this year, this coming year. And uh, he had not dated anyone actually probably for about 10 or 12 years. Uh, he'd been kind of cynical of women, to be honest with you. But he said, I think I'm going to get married this year. And we had told him, hey, we have a ring that we uh, was kind of a family passed down that we were going to give to Kyle. He was broke and, and doing ministry. And we're going to give you this ring to give to your intended. He goes, well, let me just take it with me. And we're like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. because 
for several reasons. Number one, you move too often, and we never know where you're living. Um, but also because we don't want you giving this to somebody we haven't even met. So I said, when you find her, you let us know. We'll come and meet her, and we'll bring the ring to you. All right? That's like a better plan to us. So that's, that's kind of what we did. So uh, we were anticipating throughout 2013 that Kyle was going to get married, and, and I'm sure he was as well. But we get through mid-year, and we've heard nothing. And, and we're like, you know... I don't know, maybe he just misheard, but finally about mid-year, mid-year, we got a phone call, and he said, Dad, I've met somebody, and we're like, okay, things are happening. So here's kind of how it happened in that situation. Kyle was in a group, he was involved in a church that had a really healthy small group culture, and and they were very connected to their groups. And so uh, in in this group, his group, there was a young lady, her name was Ashley. And they kind of, you know, they realized there was a relationship. But, but Kyle wanted to make this relationship uh, a courtship style. And so he went to the leader of the group. She was from Idaho, another state. And he went to the group and he said, I would like to court Ashley. And, uh, and the leader thought that was a good idea. And so they kind of shepherded them through that. It was kind of interesting. I believe Ashley was maybe even staying with the leader at the time. And they kind of shepherded them through that whole process. And, and the great news was that it, by Christmas, uh, they had figured it out. Uh, we went out in September, tucked the ring uh, to Kyle, <laughs> safely delivered that. And at Christmas, he, he, uh, he proposed, and they were married the next year. He didn't get it the same year, uh, but he was, was pretty close in his estimation. That's courtship. That worked out pretty well, and uh, that's a pretty good way to go, all right? But let me talk about the next model, because the first two models, I think, offer protection and caution. But then there's our culture today. There's our culture, and you got, you know, if we could stand back and look at it and say, man, we've kind of lost some things, haven't we? Here, here's what happened in our culture. Two singles search and find, and they meet and try to figure out it all on their own. And their parents and their friends may not have any input. Parents may go, I don't know if that's a great idea, but we don't always are, are not consulted about that and may not even have a say. And here's the thing, in, in the idea of dating, I mean, think about this. Many young people start dating in some way very early, late middle school possibly, date a lot of people, maybe they would not really consider marrying because they don't know them, but there's dating, that's just how we do it. And, uh, and then the, the many people are getting married later in life, so potentially you could date someone for up to 15 years or more, and during that time experience a lot of hurt and do a lot of things that you shouldn't be doing. And then, of course, the divorce rate, right, in the U.S. is very high, telling us that our dating process may not be the best way to go about it. Standing back and looking at it, I know everyone likes the freedom, but standing back and looking at it, you're saying, maybe, maybe we're not doing it exactly right. And here's what I thought was interesting about dating, and if you can be objective about this, you'll probably kind of understand that the word dating was first used back in 1800s to define when a man went and paid for a woman of the night, E. That's a history of dating. It's where it came from. And then about the turn of the century in the 1900s, as it began to evolve, and mag- magazines began to tell women, this is how you attract a man. And you can still see those in, in the grocery aisle, right? You know, all sorts of things and makeup and well beyond that as well. And then in the 1920s, you know, as our country grew, grew uh, cities began to grow and develop, and restaurants and bars became the meeting place. Before that, people met at church and community centers, and it was all family-based. But then bars and restaurants became uh, very popular, and that's where people met. Uh, men would go pick up a woman, and, uh, 
and go and, and so on. In the 40s, as it continues on, as vehicles became more popular, men would, you know, had cars would go to houses, blow the horn sometime. Uh, women would come out and go and might not even know the family, uh, and, uh, and then they would go out. As that continued on and there was more money available, men would take women to dinner and show, spend a lot of money, and then expect something in return. And that's kind of how dating progressed there. In the 1960s came about the sexual revolution. In the 1970s came about uh, abortion, birth control, and no-fault divorce. And kind of got us to where we are today. I'm not trying to be poo-poo dating or anything, but it sounds like it, doesn't it? Today in our culture, you know, about half the singles, uh, half adults are single. Many of them will live with somebody at some point. Nine out of ten will eventually marry someone, and about half of those marriages will end in divorce. And that's kind of the new normal in our world today, kind of how it is, right? But that's not how God intended for it to be, not at all. If you are single, whether you're young or old, whether you're married, never married or divorced, whatever it may be, let me encourage you to think about the process and think about how you are dating or if you're dating in a way that could lead to a healthy marriage. And are you looking for love in all the right places or all the wrong places in your life? That's a good question. And if you're considering marriage, I think I would encourage you to lean toward more of a courtship model than just the dating model that we have today. And that's my take on that. So let's, let's kind of use that as our backdrop and let's look at Ruth and Boaz. Because in their relationship, we're seeing some romance begin and, and things are moving along in the relationship a little quicker than what we might expect. But again, keep in mind, uh, they have, both are older. Uh, Boaz is an older man. Ruth has been married before. And, uh, and so they're, they're kind of a little bit older adults as they move on. But Boaz invites Ruth, he meets Ruth, he invites her to spend the entire harvest season in his field. And he told his men, don't bother this young lady, don't mess with her, don't, don't uh, try to run her off, don't be abusive. Uh, he offered her water, he complimented her on her devotion to her mother-in-law, and it's not even noon yet. I mean, things are happening pretty quick. Boaz is, uh, is moving on this relationship. Here's what it says, let's pick up her story. We left last week at verse 13 of chapter 2, uh, this week we're on verse 14. And mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and do not rebuke her. I'm getting the idea that Boaz was pretty smitten with this young lady, Ruth. And so he asked her to lunch the very first day. And he offers her some bread and some wine and some roasted grain, which uh, as I would say was a pretty good meal to be out in the field for them to enjoy. And uh, she probably hadn't eaten like that in a long time. Remember, she's kind of broke. She's been down and out, poor for some time. And then Boaz tells his man, I don't want you to bother her. In fact, I want you to help her. I want you to even deliberately drop some of the grain along the way. So they would be cutting the grain, and normally they would just glean what they drop. But he's like, I want you to drop some bundles <laughs> along her way and let her pick those up. He had been acting and showing mercy, but now he begins to show grace and generosity. So we pick up the story. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. 
She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her mother-in-law what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So Ruth is, um, is pretty ecstatic. She's energized. She has gone out. She's worked all day. She's hot. She's tired. She's sweaty. But, man, she has got, she's got some progress. And she threshed out the grain, and she has about an ephah, which is about 30 pounds. So when you're talking about little bitty grains of barley, 30 pounds is a lot to have picked up and kind of gathered it out. And some said it was worth about two weeks' wages. So she's done really good for herself in one day. She's amazed, and obviously Boaz has been kind of throwing her some extra uh, along the way, but, but she's done very well. You know, we're going to learn some things about their relationship here and about how to have a godly relationship ourselves. And here's what I believe. I believe that God has a hand in selecting our mate or the mate of our children if we invite him into the process, if we invite him into the process. And I don't know about you, you guys probably know, all of our kids are married except one. She'll be married the 1st of October. And they've all made, I believe, excellent choices for their mates. But I'm not surprised because we have been praying for them since they were small children to find the right mate. So I would encourage you, regardless of the age of your kids, begin to pray for your kids. I mean, nobody's perfect, no, no process is perfect, but pray for the future of your kids and who their mates might, might be. Because God has a hand planned in that. First of all, I believe it was God's will that they met. I mean, think about how unlikely it was that they would meet at all. Here was Ruth, who was living in, uh, in another country. She was far away. She was in a pagan country. She was also married to someone else. There was uh, very unlikely she would ever even know that Boaz existed. But because her husband died and she moved to a country she never would have thought of going to, landing in a small town she had never heard of in the field of a man that she had never known about shows us that God was working. God was doing something. He, if you seek God's will, he will help you. You know, I thought about this in, in Lori and I's relationship. You know, uh, I grew up in central Kentucky. I didn't plan to go to college at all. After working a year uh, in a factory, I changed my mind dramatically, decided that was a good idea. So I, I'm going to go to college. Lori lives in northern Indiana, and uh, she never thought about living in Kentucky in her life. And, uh, but she, you know, through a series of friendships, ends up in a small college in eastern Kentucky. And when I saw her, she was out gathering grain and threshing it out. And <laughs> no. Actually, she was working in the kitchen, cleaning up tables. And I, it was my sophomore year, and I was kind of like Boaz, like, I don't know that girl. I think I'm going to find out who she is, you know. So at any rate. But I just see that God, and just unexpectedly, God brought us into the same place. That's what God did to Boaz and Ruth and brought them together. It was his will that they met. He had a plan. Second thing we see is that God con confirmed the relationship. God confirmed the relationship for them. Here, let's pick it up. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? You know, where did you find all this grain? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. And the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. So when she finds out who Boaz is, she goes, wow, he was really nice to you. And he's cared for a couple of widows who didn't have anything to their names and by the way, Boaz is a guardian redeemer, which kind of brings up a new word for us here. What was a redeemer? Who is a redeemer? 
A redeemer was a relative of someone who had died who took a responsibility for the family and for the possessions of the family. Now, as you can imagine, there was always a possibility of an abusive situation, of someone taking advantage of a poor widow. But the process was set up that they should be a relative, and the hope was, uh, and the attempt was, was someone who was honest and would not be out for selfish gain. But also the community had a plan in that, a hand in that as well. The community held him accountable, as we're going to see as we get on into this story. Now, if the Redeemer might be a brother of the deceased person or even a cousin, they might even marry the widow and raise their children and go on and have you know, more children with, with the widow if she was younger. Boaz was such as this. He was a Redeemer. He was distantly related. He was not a brother of Limelech. And he wasn't even obligated to help. The Redeemer did not have to exercise his rights or, you know, the, the freedom to do that. But he does it out of the goodness of his heart. And there was great news for them. First of all, that there was someone available, that there was a Redeemer. There was a near relative that was out there somewhere. And then also that he was um, aware of this situation, that he was kind as well. So God is confirming all these things. And you might say, well, that worked out great for them. She was really lucky. No, not really. There is no coincidence when it comes to what God is doing. God was working behind the scenes. God knew all of this in advance. Have you ever seen God work something out that you've been praying about, you've been worried about, trying to figure it out yourself, and all of a sudden, God just figured it out. Things fell into place. The solution was obvious after you let God in and invited God in. Things fall into place. You realize God was working beside the, uh, behind the scenes all the time. And that God had a better plan. You know, Ruth didn't really have a plan. Her plan was, I, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to go with Naomi, and we're just going to try to survive some way. But in one day's time, she's got a plan. She's got savings. She's got grain. She's built some friends, a working community, and potentially a relationship as well. And she also knows what she's going to do from where she's going to work for the next few weeks. Let's pick up the story. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it would be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So there wasn't any expectation, like, I'm going to hinge everything I've got on this one guy. It was like, no, we've got to have a plan, and here's the plan. We're going to stay in this field as long as you're welcome there, and we're going to be protected there. And so she just worked with those women. She began to build a relationship in that community with those women, and she continued to live with their mother-in-law and gave their relationship some time. In fact, they had six to eight weeks here that doesn't seem like anything really happened. If you're next week, uh, going to be talking about the chapter three, nothing really happens there in some weeks. They didn't move in together. They didn't do that. that. That wasn't appropriate. They just got to know each other, which our world today, you know, we got to take our time on these things. And the third thing we learned is that they just waited on God's timing. They just waited. It's so hard for us to wait on God to move and show us his will. Now, we don't know a lot about Boaz. We do know he was a little bit older. He was single. Probably he had been waiting for a wife, wondering if God was going to bring somebody into his life. He wanted a family as well. He wanted some uh, descendants. He was a godly man, and no doubt he was seeking and praying as well. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't looking for a woman like Ruth. I'd, I'd really doubt if he got into Match.com and put in, I'm looking for a woman from a pagan background 
uh, that's been married before, um, that is homeless, that's begging for food, who has a bitter mother-in-law living with her. You know, that really wasn't the profile I'm sure he was looking for. But he found what God was looking for because he was open and he was accepting of her. You know, sometimes we look for things in other people that we don't look for in ourselves. And sometimes we look for things that are not realistic. We think about what we want to see, and most of the time it's external, but we don't think about the kind of person that we ought to be. And so if we're waiting on God, whether it's in relationships or whether it's something else, we ought to be trusting God to bring action in his time or someone in his time. And we ought to be preparing ourselves to be the person that we would want someone else to seek. Because if you're not the person that, you know, that person that you're looking for wants, that's not going to work. It's not going to be what God wants. So in other words, you know, if you're, if you're single and you're looking, you need to be preparing yourself and getting ready, not living in your parents' basement playing video games all day. You know, that's not the ideal candidate that the men, that the women are looking for, right? But what I've found is our list is oftentimes unrealistic and our list is often superficial on the outside. But remember what the Bible says, that God looks at the heart. God looks inside the person. And so let's look briefly at the heart of Ruth. Let's see what she possessed there. She loved the Lord. She had chosen the Lord. Many of the people of Israel had turned their back on the Lord, but she had chosen the Lord, abandoning her, old, her, her past life and her old gods. She decided to follow God. She had a great faith. She left her home seeking what God would want for her. She would do anything to be with God's people. She was humble, faithful, and loyal, dependable, resilient, hardworking, respectful, and honorable. Yeah, she had some baggage. I mean, who doesn't have some baggage in their life, right? But we can overcome our past, and we can move forward and find a better second half of our life. And she knew God had a plan for her life. And Boaz knew that she was worthy of his attention and his affection. There was a lot of differences in them, right? They were of different races, maybe of different colors. I don't know, possibly, but he didn't see that. It didn't bother him. They were of a different social class. They were of a different religious background. But her past did not uh, dictate his response to her. And they came together because of the things they had in common, like godliness, steadiness, reliability, a community of believers around them, a willingness to wait on God and his will and his timing. Amen. And that's why, I don't know if you were looking for a real romantic story, but it really is kind of a romantic story when you look at what romance is all about and building a right kind of relationship. And I think that Ruth and Boaz is a beautiful picture of how relationships should begin and flourish. But unfortunately, in our world today, we don't think like this and we don't have a plan we don't have a plan for a mate. We just kind of fall in love or lust or whatever we want to call it. And if you were to translate this story into today's model, imagine what that would look like. Boaz would be a rich playboy. He'd be running around with and sleeping with all the women that were in this field probably. No commitment whatsoever. When he met Ruth, Ruth would probably be desperate. She'd be willing to do anything at all to get in good with this rich playboy to trap him or snag him or whatever. And it would never have worked out. So maybe we go back and we start looking at the core of what romance really is, building a foundation of faith and trust in God before we can expect the right kind of relationship to happen. We can learn a lot from their relationship, even though it happened thousands of years ago. 
And the other thing that we can see is that we can see their part in God's really big love story. There's a little bitty story. Now, stories like this happen probably all the time that we never read about, but this is a small story that God chose to share with us in his word to kind of give us a picture of his big love story. There is a story of God that runs throughout the entire Bible. And that one word that maybe you've never heard before much, but the word redeemer, that's a huge word. Because the redeemer in our lives is Jesus. That is the redeemer in the story of the Bible. And in fact, Boaz is kind of what we call a type of Jesus before his time. He wasn't holy, he wasn't God, but he kind of was a picture of Jesus. And here's why. Jesus, like Boaz, is rich, complete, wealthy, powerful, full of grace. He has everything that anyone could want. And all of us are kind of like Ruth. We come with baggage, we come from sin, we come broken and poor and empty and seeking grace. Don't even have the right to ask. But Jesus sells favor. And he pays the price for us. And we won't talk a lot about redeeming because that comes up in a, a couple of weeks from now. But, but keep that in mind, the big picture that this little story gives us of the love of God. And if you have never experienced the love of God, I would love to have that conversation with you just to talk about your life and how you can find hope and a future. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And God, thank you for this story. Lord, as we're just breaking it down, we learn so much. And we, we learn the practical aspects, the example. Your word says everything that's written is for our good and for our understanding so that we might uh, develop endurance and hope and faith. So God, I pray through this story that we would see your working hand. And whatever our deal may be, whether it's relationships, whether it's romance we seek, whether it's uh, children, whether it's uh, your, your will, God, that we would just trust you, wait on you, invite you into the situation and believe that you have a plan. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We ask, you th ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.